0: You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com.
1: Today's passage is from the book of Exodus, chapter 24, verses 1 to 18. Then he said to Moses, Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord, And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God, and they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. This is the word of the Lord. You can now have a seat and the kids can be dismissed to their class.
0: Hey, all. My name is Michael. I am one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. I have a couple kind of announcement stuff that I want to hit on uh, before we jump into this. One, Matt Cordy preached two weeks ago, um, and he's a, a dear friend from another church. And so he, he said something that was just utterly untrue. So I just wanted to cl- clean that up a little bit. He said we were Microsoft people around here, and we're not. Um, Like Scott and I, uh, two of the four elders are are firmly entrenched Google people. Um, The other two elders, Adam and Matt, they are iPhone people, and that's the power of the gospel, (laughs) that anything happens at all around here, and so thanks be to God for that. Um, Secondly, I haven't been here for the last two weeks, and so if you've been hanging out for the last two weeks or or watching online or whatever... um, you didn't know I existed, here I am, and I hope this goes well, because you kind of get me more than the other people most of the time, so we'll see how that goes, and then I do want to share two things of kind of like a serious note, one, um, many of you can know Mark Davis, he wears shirts like this, Uh, he runs, he leads the live stream team, Um, and then Stephanie, his wife, she is on Connections, and she's probably greeted you at the door, A 1,000 times. She actually had a heart attack yesterday morning. Stephanie did. And and Mark was flying out to Alaska to be with his brother for a week, and so he was in Seattle. So he got here as soon as he could last night, and um, I guess I, I was texting with Mark. It was like in the middle of the night at some point, and she was in critical condition this morning. I chatted with mark and she is stable and he actually had a conversation with her and so i asked him if it would be okay if we would pray for her and so i want to do that and so you can encourage them however you would like to do that and then another thing that i just want to pray for as well um, you know about two years ago we sent out a church cedar city church Um, some of us went to be with them and um you know planning a church is really difficult as we say all the time and planning a church in a pandemic is really difficult as well, as it turns out. And so today, David's preaching, and then he's taking kind of an an extended uh, couple-month sabbatical. Um, And so he's just stepping away for a bit, like just getting some space. And so just encourage you to pray for him and Renee and the Hackneys and Cedar City um, as they kind of like continue to to be God's family um, and, and pray for David and Renee that they would be just encouraged and built up. And so, again, I encourage you to to care for them however you would like. Just uh, a word of encouragement or whatever would be greatly appreciated. So, I want to pray for those things, and then we're going to jump in and get going. Father, thank you for the gift of gathering with your people and for the gift of praying and singing as one in Christ about Jesus and all things that are finished by his work alone and and yet you continue by your spirit to do work and to advance good and you invite us into that. And so today we just thank you for the, the gift that we get to sit under your word as disciples and we get to grow in our knowledge and our love for, for Jesus and, and your love for us. God, we pray for Stephanie right now that you would uh, mend her body, that you would make her well, that you would um, that you would let her see good days. And, and that wherever she is right now, um, that you would just give her peace and encouragement um, that, that w- would surpass any understanding of what's going on uh, in her body. And I pray for Mark that he would find um, his, his rest and his peace and his joy in you. And that he would, um, that he would be encouraged by your people and by your presence as well. We pray for the Hackneys today in Cedar City Church, that you would continue to bless them and that you would um, root them in who you are and, and your word and, and that you would continue to build them up as your people and that you would just be an encouragement to the Hackneys, that you would give them just a fresh um, newness of life in all that you do and all that you've done. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So some friends uh, have probably never seen your living room, right? Some might call ahead if they're going to visit. Some might show up at the door and knock. And some friends might just walk into your house, uh, open the refrigerator, grab a Coke, sit on your couch, turn on the TV, take a nap, whether you're there or not, right? Right? Uh, and, and that's just the nature of kind of different relationships that we have. I read a story not long ago that made me literally laugh out loud. And I won't do it justice. But it was about a young woman who was going to, uh, for a like a job interview. And this was like in the last six months. And so it was like during like quarantine, COVID protocol, stuff is weird. And she said she walked into... Uh the, the officer or she walked into the building and, and a a young man greeted her and he stuck his his arm out like this and she's like in this blog like processing with us after the fact what she was thinking and she was like was he offering me like a fist bump which seemed a bit informal but it was also like just kind of a weird posture or was he was he like offering to escort me to, like, the HR office or whatever, and she's like, I didn't know what it was, so I just reached up, and I I grabbed his arm, and she's like, and we just walked awkwardly up a set of stairs uh, into the HR office, and, you know, here you go, and and, and so she was just processing that, and I literally laughed out loud. Uh, One more scenario. Um, Forrest Gump, um, All-American football star, among many other things, he got to meet the president, uh, President, uh, I think it was John F.K. And <clears throat> when he met him, he's going through and he's saying, How's it feel to be a, an All-American? How's it feel to be an All-American? He's getting ready to meet the president. Like, that's a big deal. <clears throat> and when he got there, Forrest Gump, you know what he said? He said, I've got to pee, right? And so, he, and the president's like, I, I think he said he had to use the restroom or whatever. So, what do all of those things have in common? Understanding and defining the terms of relationships, they're pretty important, right? And understanding, uh, understanding like appropriateness in relationships is really important. Um, spouses don't interact the same way as, as friends do, and, and co-workers don't relate the same way as siblings do. And, and you may or may not answer the door, you know, in, in your underwear. If the Amazon guy comes, you're probably not going to do that, right? And so just like understanding social norms and how we get to interact with someone is really important. And the crazy thing is, is all of that is true with the way that we interact with, with God as well. And, and the reality is, uh, because of who he is, and because of who we are, because of his righteousness and his glory and, and his perfection in every way, and because of our nature and our fallen sinful state, it's nothing to say it's sometimes difficult to know how we relate with him. And it's sometimes difficult to, to maybe know like what's appropriate in the way that we interact with God. And, and it's sometimes difficult to know how he sees us or where we fit or what our relationship is built on. And like any relationship, if we don't know where we stand, then what we're going to do is we're going to keep that person at arm's length. And so we ask questions like does God show preference for others? who like seem to be living the good life or like, man, like, I don't know what blessed looks like, but it looks like my neighbor in the way that they're living their life. And does God like them in a particular way that he doesn't like me? Or does God care more about those who just always nail the disciplines and like prayer and reading and fasting? And, and I struggle with those things. Is God like more pleased with those people or does he have like a, a closer relationship? Is God's love... Um, more full for those who are famous for their lives of servitude and devotion? Am I an outcast in God's family? Am I a citizen in his kingdom? Or maybe something as simple as, like, does, does God even know my name? Like, does he even know that, that I exist? And certainly the way that we would answer that would really impact the way that we pray and the way that we walk with him and the way that we give ourselves to him. Jesus, when he was on this earth, he had friendships, and he had like spheres of relationships, um, and he and he had some uh, the the apostle whom he loved or the disciple whom he loved. John was like like his his bro, right? And then he he had uh, uh, John, James, and uh, and Peter. And in, in particular times, he would like call them, just the three of them, to himself in some particular ways. And then he had the 12 disciples, and then he had the masses, and then he had the, the crowds of people that flocked wherever he went. And, and I think it, those relationships likely speak more to our limited resource as humans in the way that we can't be best friends to every single person on the planet than it does the way that God relates with us. But it's, but it's important that we see how Jesus navigated these things as well. But in this passage today in Exodus, we see something similar, and it sets up kind of a template for the Old Testament. And what we see is God interacting with kind of like three layers of people. I'm going to read um, Exodus 24, just verse 1 and 2 uh, to start off. He says this, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Three layers. It's like the elders and the priests... Can come up to the top of the mountain, and and Moses can come like just where, where only he can go, and we'll we'll see this kind of at the end, kind of wrap around again, and then the masses like everyone else like just stay at the bottom of the mountain, and so like you read that and you just think like wow is that I mean like maybe you feel that way like am I just hanging out at the foot of the mountain and I'm not like a big deal. And, and so uh, we see this, but, but here's what I, I hope that we will see as we walk through this text, that God sends one to define his relationship with many, right? God sends one to define his relationship with many. So we need to keep this in mind. We're going to dig into this passage and we'll circle back around. Um, my hope is that we don't have to wonder how God relates with us. And we don't have to keep God at arm's length. Because of who he is, we get to walk with him in the most intimate way possible. And so the first thing we're going to see here, as kind of where this fits in the story that we've been kind of journeying through for the last uh, couple years, but certainly in the last few months, is God's establishing this covenant with his people. And what we see in this text in particular is kind of like the covenant the relationship being confirmed, and we see it being confirmed in three ways, or or like maybe we might say, God is defining the relationship with his people in three ways, and the first one is this, the word of the covenant. So the word of God is utmost from the beginning of God's relationship with man until today. It is in fact his word is the, is the only thing that will endure. Let me read a few passages for you. In John 18, Jesus is interacting with Pilate. And he says, like, ah, like are you a king? Like, what's the deal? And, and Jesus says this, this line that's like really incredible. He says, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come. And Kim and I were talking this, uh, just yesterday, and I, I asked her, like, why do you think Jesus came? And we're like, kingdom and like to save the world and all these things. But Jesus literally says, this is why I was born. This is why I came to earth. This is the purpose for why I uh, exist as I am here and now. And he says, I've come for this purpose to bear witness to the truth. Right? To say words that are true. In John 1, in the beginning was the word the Word was with God and the Word was God. We see that the Word is Jesus. They're one and the same. And, and the Word and Jesus is the way and it is the truth and it is the life that's ours. In, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says this, all flesh, he's quoting the Old Testament, but he says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this Word is is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. So so it's it's no wonder then that the word of the of the covenant is utmost on the front end of defining the relationship between God and his people and so we see this God speaks and the people respond, right? This has kind of already happened once and then he gives them the 10 commandments, the 10 words, and then he gives them like like, uh, several pages stapled onto the Ten Commandments. And, and it's, it's the, the law of the covenant that he's kind of rolling out. Um, and then we see they commit after knowing what type of people that they are to be. After they know what God is expecting of them, uh, they, they commit to do that. And so, reading on in, in Exodus 24, picking up in verse 3, and we'll hop around a bit. Moses came and he told the people all the words... Of the Lord and all the rules. It's kind of a funny thing. Remember, he's building a people and he wants them to live in such a way to reflect his glory. So, so he told them all the words and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice a miracle in, in the church, right? Everyone's unified. A couple hundred thousand people, as many as 600,000 people with one voice. This is what they said. Um, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. So he's like, okay, we better make note of this, right? Like, you know, just to, so that if we forget, we'll know that we like had a moment here, Right. And then, and then we go on in verse 7. We see, again, then he took the book of the covenant, which is, again, the, 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 the ten words with, with the uh, explanation attached to it. Then he took the book of the covenant, and he read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. Consider this pattern. God says, the people respond, and, and what's going to happen is, well, the remainder of the Old Testament is just God's people doing anything but what they just committed to. Time and time again, anything but, like, th- th- they got caught up in the moment, and their hype, and they're like, yeah, we're, we're, we're all in, Lord. You're great and mighty, and we're, at, like, whatever you do, we are all in. Like, squirrel, you know, and they're distracted 10 minutes later. So, so, God says, the people respond, the people forsake, God is faithful, God uh, judges them for their sin, they repent, they turn back and walk in faithfulness, and we see that pattern over and over and over again. And while the ground floor foundation of our life with God is utterly from beginning to end about belief, it's about faith alone, right? Your relationship with God is about what you believe to be true about Him. What must... Like, uh, someone asked Jesus, like, what must we do to be doing the works of the Lord? And he said, believe in the one that, that God has sent. Belief. It's the ground floor. There's nothing else on which we can build, right? Our faith and, and confidence in being God's because of his faithfulness, not our own Jesus plus nothing is literally everything. But our faith is validated by our commitment to live what we believe to be true. Consistency of word, belief, and action, really important for the people of God. It's really important uh, for God as as he establishes this commitment with him. So if God's way is the best way, if he alone is God, then let us walk in his ways. And you probably know James, as he he wrote a letter to the early church in the New Testament, he he says, essentially, dead faith can't save you but living faith not only saves but it but it walks like like God's people walk the talk and they talk the walk and so if you find yourself in this room and you're not a Christian you're not a part of God's family today and you're skeptical and you're you're looking at me and you're trying to like peel back the layers and poke holes in what I'm saying and and you're looking to the left and to the right and the songs that we sang and you're like what is this all about dude I sit with you in that like you're in a room full of a bunch of skeptics But here's what I want you to know. Jesus was just as fed up with the hypocrisy of the church as you might be. So if you look and you say, gosh, like, it's just so tough. Like, I've been a a part of churches that were just filled with hate and everything that I see, like, on the internet, like, just Christians or whatever. like, Like, we sit with you in that. There is a better way. And God, God's not a fan of that either. That's why, when he's establishing this relationship, it's built upon mutual agreement that they walk in faithfulness, that, that God is God, and we're not. And Jesus says the same, same thing. He says, if you love me, then what? You'll obey me. Right? So really, simply then, is your relationship with God built upon his word? Or any other word? And you might say, uh, "Well, I mean, of course, because you know Jesus died for my sins, and I know these things." And but, like, there are some things in here that, like, I don't like. And, and so, you just have to figure it out. Like, is it your word that sits over top of this? Is it the word of the culture that sits over top of this? Or does this sit over top of everything that you exist by? Every filter of your thought, in the way that you engage with yourself, with the God of the universe, with your neighbor, with your enemy. Does it start here? Or is, it, or is there anything over this? All of the words the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. So if we keep reflecting, how often do we play the part of Israel where we would say, yes, Lord, whatever you will, only to, to fall away, to find better options or to drift from His voice or to find ourselves in other pastures following other voices and other shepherds. And and when we look up, maybe even in this very moment right here, you find that you're not obeying His voice at all. You can turn one of two ways. You can run to Him or you can run away from Him. And, And the difference is how you see yourself in light of who God is. And, and maybe a helpful category would be like this. If God loves you because you're obedient, right? Get that right in your head. If God loves me because I do all the right things, then you'll be drawn to guilt and shame and self-loathing and, and self-salvation projects. And you'll continue away from him, from his voice, from his care, because you're not good enough. And here's the thing, you never will be. But if you obey him because he loves you, that changes everything. And the difference is, are you living by the law or are you living by the grace offered in Christ alone? If if I obey him because he loves me, then when I find myself in other pastures, when I realize that his voice is faint, I'm following a voice that's not my good shepherd, then I want to find him. And I want to run to his voice. I want to find myself in his care. So when your relationship with God is based upon Christ's obedience, then God sees us as his own because of Christ's righteousness credited to our account. And when we do that, we now cling to God's word and we listen to Jesus as the good shepherd who leads us to green pastures, green pastures of peace, because he is the way and the truth and the life. God, we have heard you and whatever you call us into that's what I want to do. Man, how beautiful. The second thing uh, gets a little weird, all right? It's, it's the blood of the covenant. And if we were doing like a 4D experience, when you're reading the focal passage on the screen, you're like, wow, it's like there's blood being splattered all over the people, and it's like a little weird. The first time I remember seeing blood as the sign of a commitment was in 1991. Uh, Two just little cuties Thomas J. And, and Veda Saltonfuss um, in, in the movie My Girl. Um, and gosh, if you're like sad this week and you've never seen that, don't watch it. Because you'll be like way more sad, all right. Um, but if you're like looking for like, you know, something to, like, I'm like tearing up just thinking about it. It's so sad. Um, I climbed a tree when I was a kid, got stung by bees, fell out and broke my arm. So, like, gosh, this movie was, I mean, that, like, it could have been worse, but my goodness, it was tough, right? So, anyway, they do this thing. They each kind of, like, cut their hand, and then they say this, you know, little thing, like, they mix their blood together, and I don't know, like, that probably wouldn't fly today. Uh, People are wearing masks, and then they're, like, ah, you know, mixing their blood together, but, and they say, we're blood brothers for life, and you know what? Like, in the moment, I thought, that, that seems like the right thing to do, Right? Honestly, when we read about, you know, like, blood sacrifices in a worship setting, or we hear about vampires, or there are people, like, in Hollywood that wear, like, vials of blood of their spouse or whatever, like, around their neck, and you're like, that is, man, this is serious stuff, right? And if you do that, like, we can talk or whatever. Um, But, like, it gets pretty weird pretty quick, but it's not that we're not familiar with, like, blood equating bonds of endearment. Like what what Thomas J. and Veda Saltenfuss did was like, like you've seen that before, and it doesn't sound, I mean, it does sound crazy, but like you get the idea. So other cultures throughout history have made altars and, and offered sacrifices to appease the gods, but it isn't as if our God is just some bloodthirsty tyrant. What we see in the way God presents sacrifice from the very beginning, Adam and Eve sinned, he killed an animal, And he clothed them with its skin, right? As he sent them out of the garden. Like from the very beginning to to our final hope in Christ, what we see is that sacrifice shows us the serious nature of our sin. Like when God said, if you eat of the tree, you will surely die. Like he wasn't being dramatic, So when we see these things, and and we read this, and so I'll I'll pick up in 24, I'm going to read the second half of of 4, and then I'll kind of hop around a little bit. Moses rose early in the morning, and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. Quick little note here, if you're thinking about, like, you've heard before something about a temple and priests and, like, real, like, kind of uh, particular ways in which this stuff fleshes out, we're just kind of learning as we're going with God's people, and that stuff hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen, like, real soon, okay? So he's kind of just setting the framework for for some of that stuff. Um, and Moses took half of the blood, and he put it in basins and half of the blood and he threw it against the altar. Uh, and then, it, remember, he took the book of the covenant and he read it and they said, all that you've spoken we will do. And so it's like s- solidifying this covenant in something that's very serious. It's, it's like, like life or death, like blood is everywhere. This is a brutal deal. And Moses took the blood and he threw it on the people. And he said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. It's literally a bloodbath. But it's a visual reminder of sin's fruit that it leads to death. And there's a way that leads to creation flourishing. And that is God's way. And there's a way that leads to, to creation's death and destruction. And that is man's way apart from the Lord. Now, when we apply things from the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, one way that, that we know that we're doing so with, with biblical faithfulness is if the people in this room, with all this blood going on, if, if we shared the gospel of Jesus with them, they would see what happened in this room fuller, and with, with, with greater clarity, they, it wouldn't be some like kind of extra thing that's like, huh, I don't get it. And so I imagine that they would have seen what, what we have. They would have seen uh, the hope of Christ if they saw the fullness. God made a way to temporarily atone for their sin when it's later formalized in, in the tabernacle, and the temple. And then God prepares bloodshed as the way to overcome sin and our lack of obedience. And, and we see this. We see the full-fledged intention of God's design in the cross of Christ, brutality of bloodshed, the justice of sin against the injustice of Christ's innocence. The blood of the spotless lamb is shed to temporarily atone for the sin of, of Israel, of God's people. So these Israelites would have seen God's son as the innocent lamb slain in their stead. And my guess is if if they saw it, uh, it would have brought them to tears, the fullness of God's temporary provision on full display as the final death in Christ on the cross. One says it this way, the old covenant required blood sacrifices, but it could not provide a final sacrifice for sin The Old Covenant required repeated daily sacrifices of animals as a reminder of the people's sin. But as Scripture says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Hebrews chapter 10. So at the Last Supper, Jesus took a cup, a cup of wine. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you you tracking? Do you get it? How what we're reading in Exodus isn't just like the craziest thing you've ever heard. But it's the groundwork that makes the sacrifice of Jesus all the more powerful for us. And that happens in Luke 22. And similarly, he broke the bread and he said, this is my, my body. Do this in remembrance of me. This blood dripped from Christ's veins, splattered on the altar to make a holy place, splattered on the people to make a holy people. We declare that we are blood brothers and sisters, not by a pact, but by a covenant of blood. And what we see in the middle of this text, and there's all kinds of weird stuff, but the elders, they share a meal. Like, come up here on the mountain, and like we're going to share a meal, and like they can... They're in the presence of God because there's this sapphire road. You're just like, what on earth? And I don't have any. I don't know what's going on there other than what it says. And but in Christ, we remember and we declare the last sacrifice needed when we take communion every week. We share a meal as the cornerstone of repentance, justice and grace. And it is built on the blood of the covenant made full through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So in just a few minutes, as we take, this is not the end of the sermon, relax, right? Uh, You're like, oh, wow, this is good. Uh, So so in in a few minutes, when we take communion, and, and we reflect, we do that as often as we do, most often every week, as we pray and ask God to search our hearts, when we remember our sin, we get to lament and we get to hate it. But we also get to delight in God's provision to pay for it. And to take it away. So, so that's why we say uh, we get to, when we take communion, God's people, right? Who, who put their, their confidence in, in Christ as their eternal life and forgiveness of sins. We get to remember and declare the good news of what Christ has done for us. In the new covenant. The covenant of his blood. Not of the blood that we see in the Old Testament. So our relationship with God is defined by the word of the covenant and by the blood of the covenant. And the last thing, it's defined by the mediator of the covenant. Uh, Let's read this. We'll jump in verse 12 and read through the end. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Just the leadership stuff. Like, I'm going to be out of town for a bit. Like, if you have any questions, just shoot them to these guys, right? Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud, and he went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. In in the conclusion of this passage, we see the full circle of the layers of relationship. Moses goes all the way into the glory cloud of God's presence, and he hangs out there over a month, right? This scene might bring about some reluctance or some anxiety or uncertainty in relation to God. Like, again, some are far off, and maybe that's like the common grace that God gives all of us, not to consume us just as we are in our sin. Some draw a little closer, right? They, they go to the mountaintop, and, and maybe that's those that God draws near. And, and, and one, Moses alone is drawn into the very presence of God. And so you might be saying, like, where am I at? Right Where am I at in relation to God? Am I in the cloud with him? Am I even close to Him? If I ascend to the, the mountaintop? Am I outside the camp entirely? And as the Old Testament unfolds, this pattern continues. We're going to look at the temple, like I said, uh, or the tabernacle uh, in, the, in next week. And what we'll see is there are places inside that, like, only one can go, like the the holy of holies. And then we see the inner courts, and then we see the the outer courts, and then we see the city gates. And, And Moses, he plays the role of high priest. He goes all the way in to the most holy place with God. There are loads of confusing things in this passage But what is crystal clear, and what I want us to see, is that God sends one to define his relationship with many. And there is nothing more true for us today. And so I want to read a little chunk from Romans chapter 5. I want to give you some homework this week. Romans chapter 5, like, read it three times this week. All of it. That would be really helpful. Faye, you don't have to read it because you have it memorized, right? Is that right? Is that true? What chapter it is? I won't make you come up here, but she does. That's super cool, Faye. Super sweet. So so Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12, and like I'm just reading a a chunk. So Titus always asks, how long is the focal passage? This is a, a chunk, all right? Engage your brains, okay? Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Who's that man? Adam. And death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. One infected with sin, his name was Adam. And through him, everyone uh, became infected with sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Hey, we're talking about him today. That's crazy. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, who was that again? Adam. One man's sin. Many died through one man's sin, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace that One man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So this whole thing is a contrast between Adam and the last Adam, Jesus. Okay? And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. You're condemned. You are called guilty. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. You are justified. You are acquitted. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That's us. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Also us. For those who put their hope and trust in the grace given to us in Jesus. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The law, do you know who the law came through? Moses. So all this is pointing to the fact that God is giving them a law to show them just how wretched they are. But if we walked in the law, then we would live a life uh, as a community that flourished because we'd be walking in the ways of God. They won't do that. We won't do that. Because we are born of one man, Adam, but in Christ, we get to walk in the newness of life in the last Adam, Jesus, who gives us his righteousness and equips us with the Holy Spirit that we might please God. That's the gospel. That's our hope. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Just as through one all died, through one all live. And in this text in Exodus, it's Moses and, and uh, as the high priest. But we see Jesus later on. And we see, uh, as, as it's been said, Jesus is the last and better Adam who passed the test in the garden. And Jesus is the better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord who mediates a new covenant. So the question, how does God relate to me? Can I just walk into his living room and open his refrigerator and sit on the couch? Because I'm not sure we're there yet. Well, it depends. If you walk outside of the word and the blood and your faith is not in Christ alone, uh, then you walk according to your own word, uh, then it's by your own blood that the judgment will come against you because of your own failure to obey. So if that's where you sit, if Jesus isn't your mediator, then you are your own mediator. And and I'm just guessing that you're gonna be found guilty and that guilt will lead to death and separation from God as you receive his, his wrath and judgment. But if you walk according to the word and the blood of Christ, then the question shifts. Here's the question. How does the father relate with his son? And I want to show you how much he delights in you. God did not spare his son but he gave him up for you. That's how God relates with us. By grace through faith in him alone, he loves us so much that he gave up Christ to call you son or daughter. <clears throat> I was in Guatemala last week, right? And one thing that we did was visit some people in their homes. And in the next month, I, I hope to share a bit more about this, but um, we, we visited people in their homes, and and we would, uh, none of us, the seven of us from the village um, couldn't speak uh, any words that they could understand, and the, that was uh, mostly reciprocated. They could not speak words that we understood. So we would have a, a translator, a guy called Mitch or a guy called Esau, and, and we would show up and we would say hi, and and it was planned-ish, everything was planned-ish, we would show up and... And maybe they loved Jesus and maybe they didn't. And we would just, we would just literally walk into their home. And uh, their home looks a little different than probably your home. But we would just walk in there, uh, covering dirt floors, roosters, and all the things. And we would be like, hey. And then we would sit there for like five minutes and there would be words being said that we didn't know what they were. All right. And then you would like hear maybe like Mitch point, point to something and say the word agua. And you're like, great. He's telling them that we want to carry water up a hill, like this is the last thing. Or he would point to an axe and like a pile of wood and like, okay, and we would split wood or whatever. But, but they would have these interactions, but right when we got there, not a joke, three-year-olds, five-year-old kids, I don't know if they like, uh, this was just part of what they did, there would be five of us show up in their living room and the little, the tiniest kid would just disappear and would come back with Chairs. sit them down, and like, sit down, and you're like, no, I'm good, I'll stand. And they're like, what? why are you being such a jerk? And you're like, okay, I'll sit down. Right? And in homes that had nothing, one woman comes out and says, can I pour you a glass of Coke? Coca-Cola? And so we're a bunch of white people in Guatemala going there to serve them. And they open up their homes, and they listen, and they share, and they pour us glasses of Coca-Cola, the sweetest thing, the tiniest kids bringing chairs out after chair after chair until we're all sitting down, and then they would just sit there, and they would talk, and they would stop doing what they're doing, and they would listen, and you're like, my goodness, like this is beautiful. This is the way that God welcomes any who would come To him in the name of Jesus, like family, prized as if he was expecting us, eager to listen, eager to speak, eager to bear burden, not because we're great, but because Christ is great. And if that's true, through the covenant of Christ, our relationship with God then is no longer defined by the fear of God, and it's no longer defined by the judgment from God or the uncertainty about God, but our relationship is defined as child Of God. And so, wherever that finds you, this is what we get to do repent and believe. Turn from whoever it is that you're living for and turn towards Him because He cares for you. Repent and believe as the foundation of your life with Him. If you do that, then you are His. He welcomes you in. And you might be sitting there and you, I don't even know how to do that. I don't even know what that means. And I won't give you the words, but, but we get to cry out and say, God, I'm broken. And I've lived my life as, as Adam. But I want to live my life with you as the new and better Adam in Christ because of his obedience in my place. Repent and believe. Trust, follow obey, enjoy him forever, contribute to the family, contribute to the mission. We get to do all of those things by the blood of Jesus, according to the word of God, with Christ as our mediator. We get to lean into that today and let God be our dad, and we get to talk with him and give him the the weight that we carry and depend on him for wisdom. We get to ask him for what we need. We get to walk in his ways and reflect his name and glory today and forever. Amen. The band can come up. We can respond. You can pray right where you are. You can stand up and sing. If you're in Christ, you've trusted him to be your Savior for eternal life and forgiveness of sins, you get to take communion to remember and declare. You can read the questions that help us reflect and repent and respond. And someone would love to pray with you by uh, that red tree over there, or my wife and I will be back by that tree. There's a prayer bench over there. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your gifts, for your goodness. Thank you for words like this that at first read might... Might feel just a bit confusing or like you're some separate God then than you are now, but when we see it working together, that you always knew what you were doing. You always knew that we would separate ourselves from you, and you always knew that you would deliver Jesus to bring us back. What a gift! What a gift. Would you let us believe that you send one to define our relationship with you? God, we love you, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.